Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. If you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. This summer, we will be having services on Sunday at 8.30, 9.45, and 11.15 a.m. We are located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. If you have a Bible, I would love for you to pull it out, or if you want to use one of the brown Bibles in the seats in front of you, or a phone, or an app, or whatever you have uh, available, I'd love for you to open up to Matthew chapter 7, because we're just going to dive right into the text. And we're going to actually, this morning, look at the, the first six verses. But right now, I actually just want to look at the first three words of Matthew 7 together, because I find these words kind of surprising. Uh, not that Jesus said them, but that they've, they've been there this whole time. Uh, and, and I want you to read, uh, I, it's three words, I could recite it to you. But I want you to see, like, this is in the Bible. Jesus actually said this. Jesus said this to his disciples, to his followers 2,000 years ago. This wasn't like a lost text that we just found recently. Like, this has been here the whole time. Jesus says, do not judge. The reason I find that surprising is we've been in this series that we're calling The Difference Jesus Makes. We're looking at the way that Jesus makes a difference in all these various areas in our lives and looking at how he makes a difference in regards to anger and sex and lying and loving our enemies and anxiety and, and, and all these different areas of our lives. Jesus makes a, a difference. Uh, and today we have a topic that it's really, it's almost hard for me to say with a straight face that the difference Jesus makes is that he makes us less judgmental. Uh, because it doesn't necessarily seem that true, especially not to the rest of the world, right? Like we know with all of these areas that we've been talking over, about over the last several weeks, we as followers of Christ, we do not measure up to Jesus' standards. We do fall short every time. Uh, it, it's absolutely true. However, however, Christians aren't usually known, even if there might be some Christians who might struggle with sexual immorality, Christians as a whole aren't known as like the sexually immoral ones. Or, you know, Christians aren't, they might sometimes struggle with anxiety or whatever, but Christians aren't known as the anxious ones. And they aren't known as the liars, even though we might lie at some times. But with judgment, Christians are known as the judgmental ones. In fact, research shows that 87% of Americans believes that Christians are judgmental. How did this happen? Because <laughs> 2,000 years ago, Jesus said very explicitly, hey guys, and he's not talking to anybody out there. He's talking to his followers. He's saying, do not judge. So what happened? What went wrong here? Uh, what I want to do is I want to take a, a deep dive into what is probably a pretty familiar text for a lot of us uh, to see what Jesus is saying. Because I, I think he's saying some really important stuff that if we pay attention to, it actually can bring about a heart transformation so we become less judgmental. But it, there's a heart transformation that needs to happen. There's something going on in our hearts that needs to be addressed. It's not just a, a behavioral thing. And so uh, I want to begin by reading through these first six verses. Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? He says, you hypocrite. Just a, a little side note right here. Uh, 
This is the, the first and only time that Jesus calls his disciples hypocrites. Uh, he talks about the Pharisees being hypocrites and other people being hypocrites. This is the only time where Jesus actually looks at his own followers and calls them hypocrites. It's almost prophetic. Like he knew that this was going to be an issue for us as followers of Christ. He says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. All right, admittedly, verse six there seems to make a bizarre left turn. <laughs> it's like, what is he talking about now? Uh, but we, it, it's actually included in that section, and I, I read it with us. We're not going to talk too much about it and unpack it, but I include it in what we read because it does actually help us understand what Jesus is not saying. All right, there's a couple of things that Jesus is not saying. One, he's not saying that there is absolutely no place for Christians to ever uh, make judgment calls about people or use their discernment to understand how people are living or even offer critique or criticism to things that are going on. Uh, we actually do have a responsibility at times to distinguish between the dogs and the pigs and to act in, in certain ways. And a little farther in this text, Jesus warns his disciples about false teachers. And he says, guys, you, you need to look at the fruit of their lives. You need to make a judgment call about these people so you can identify them and stay away from these false teachers. So there, there is a place for judgment calls. In fact, in, later in scripture, the apostle Paul, he gives a, a very stern even uh, charge and a command to the church about us as the church being able to kind of judge one another, like holding each other accountable. And he says it specifically with the brothers and sisters. He said in 1 Corinthians 5, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. You, though, he's talking to the Corinthians, expel the wicked person from uh, among you. And he uses some very strong language here to say, guys, if there's sexual immorality and greed and uh, slander and stuff, like th these things need to be addressed. We can't just uh, like have a blind eye and it's like, you do you and I'll do me. Like, yeah, we actually do have a responsibility to bring judgment into some of these situations as followers of Christ. It is specifically within the church, not those outside. Uh, but we, we can easily misinterpret what Jesus is saying that, oh, that means we can never make a judgment call about anyone ever. And that's not, that's not what he's saying in the context. The second thing that Jesus isn't, isn't saying is that you shouldn't be judged. Like he's not giving us a shield to deflect criticism. And uh, very often I've seen Christians use this verse as a shield against other Christians' criticism. It's like, oh, you can't judge me, pew, like, you know, bounces off because Jesus said, don't judge, ah, I have my shield. And they, we hide behind this. It's like, you without sin, cast the first stone. And we, we hide behind the shield. And, uh, and, and that's not what Jesus is doing. He's not, he never says, hey, Christian, don't let yourself be judged by other people. Uh, we, we actually do need to receive criticism as followers of Christ. It's good for us. It, it sucks. I mean, I hate it. I hate receiving criticism. It's painful, uh, but it is good and it, it's helpful. And in fact, the writer of uh, Proverbs had some very strong things to say about people who refuse to accept criticism. My la the last one here is my favorite. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Uh, <laughs> so there you have it. Uh, he's not giving us a shield that we can't receive kind of corrective feedback from other people that like, you can't judge me. That's not his intent. Uh, and in fact, what's ironic is if we are using it as a shield, we're doing the very uh, opposite of what Jesus is telling us to do here. We're actually, we're actually judging and condemning other people for judging us. And it's like turning it anyway. Uh, so this passage 
today is for you. It's not for you to apply to somebody else. Uh, it's not for you to apply to your wife or your coworker. You know, this is for you to apply to you and for me to apply to me this morning. And Jesus has uh, some very specific things, and he starts by actually linking our judgment of other people to God's judgment of us. And he says, the way that you judge is how you're going to be judged. And the measure you use is how you're going to, how it's going to be measured out to you. And he, he brings to mind God's judgment and, and it forces us to think for a moment, what is, what is God's judgment like? And God judges us in a couple of different ways. One is there's his corrective judgment. Corrective judgment is when God looks at our behavior, which oftentimes doesn't line up with what he wants for us or what's good for us. And he will bring this, this judgment into our lives to correct that behavior. Uh, and it's not always pleasant. In fact, it's often painful, but it's good. Before becoming a pastor, I studied architecture, and I don't know if any of you uh, are familiar with what architecture school is like, but everything rides on the critique. Uh, and there's nothing, there's nothing quite like that feeling when you haven't slept for days, and you've been working around the clock. Are you going to architecture school in the fall? Oh, I'm so excited for you. Uh, so you're working around the clock. You haven't, you haven't slept. You haven't left the studio. You can't even remember the last time you, you saw your bed. And uh, you've been pouring just sweat and tears. And depending on how good you are with an X-Acto knife, maybe a little blood into this project. And you finally pull it together. And you pin it up. And you're so proud. And you present it to your peers and to your instructors. And you, you just finish and you sigh. And then all of a sudden, your instructor just tears you apart. And it just, it feels awful. It really does. But what's even worse is that moment where you stand back and you look at your project and you realize, oh my goodness, they're right. <laughs> and you see it with fresh eyes and you're like, how did I miss this this whole time? Uh, and you, you hate that feeling. It's the worst to be criticized in that way and critiqued and judged in that way. And yet at the same time, that is how we improve. That's how we get better. That's how the work that we do gets better. And, and God does this with us. There's corrective judgment. Like when I first moved to Long Island, apparently I had a problem with uh, romantic relationships and like idolizing romantic relationships. I didn't realize this at the time. I should have because I bounced from one romantic relationship to another from like age 15 to 25 with never like more than a couple months in between. But then I moved here and God said, well, that's enough of that. <laughs> uh, and so the next couple of years, I uh, was forbidden by God, apparently, from being in a romantic relationship, and all of my efforts just fell flat, and, uh, and it sucked. Like, I, I was really uncomfortable in that state, and yet it was in that state that God started to reveal to me certain things about my heart and the pressure that I was putting on these things, and, uh, and it was good. Like, my marriage is better now because I, I don't put unnecessary pressure on it to be something that it can't be because God dealt with this back here, and it wasn't pleasant, but it was good. And God uses this corrective judgment to, to help us, to help grow us and shape us into the men and women that he created us to be. The writer of Hebrews, he, he equates it to a father lovingly disciplining his children, that he does it not out of spite, but out of, out of love. Uh, any good father will discipline their children. And so there is a place for us, even as followers of Christ, to bring corrective judgment into the world at times. Uh, but as Jesus says, the way we, we measure it out should reflect the way that God measures his corrective judgment because his is measured, right? It's not that he's just correcting us all the time or else we would die. Uh, and so we want to measure our corrective judgment like God's. And there, there's three things about God's corrective judgment. One, it's relationally appropriate. 
So he corrects us as a father to a child. It's in the context of relationship and the right kind of relationship. Like a father, dads, you have the right to correct your children. And despite what your children think, they don't have the right to correct you. Um, and, and so understanding, like, what is, what is the relationship here? I think this is where Christians, we, we get it wrong so often, is we want to offer these corrective judgments to people that are sometimes complete strangers. There's no relationship. Or the, the kind of relationship that we have doesn't really warrant that sort of, uh, that sort of corrective judgment. And so uh, with God, there's, there's a relationally appropriate way that he brings this corrective judgment. Second, it's for our benefit. When he disciplines us, he disciplines us for our benefit, not to make us less annoying to him. Uh, when I correct people, it's because you're annoying me and I want you to stop doing what you're doing. For instance, the left lane on the highway. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> Apparently you don't, but it's for passing. And uh, if you're not passing somebody like actively, you should move back into the right lane, please. Please, dear God, please. Uh, so that right there is corrective judgment, uh, but that's for my benefit. God, God's corrective judgment isn't because we're annoying him. I, I mean, can you imagine? I can't even imagine how annoying it must be to God, like what he puts up with. Like if he, if he really was dealing with how annoying we are, I think he'd just remove speech. Like it wouldn't be a thing anymore. We'd wrap us in bubble wrap. And, uh, but he, he corrects us for our benefit, not just for... Uh, his own convenience. Third, uh, it's out of love. God, his correction of us is with love and compassion. And there are times where God uses tough love. Uh, especially if you read through the Old Testament, you see a lot of moments where God uses tough love to help redirect people and, and bring that corrective judgment. Uh, but even there, even in the Old Testament, that tough love is rarely, if ever, God's first route. Uh, God is so unbelievably patient in his, uh, even with his tough love. So much so that sometimes he'll give kind of like the softer warnings for like decades or, or sometimes even centuries before he comes in with the tough love. Uh, and so there is a place for tough love, but, but even as we are measuring that out uh, in, in situations, it probably shouldn't be our first go-to. Uh, we should probably start with the more compassionate, softer, and if we have to kind of build up to that, because that seems to be the way that God does it, because he is so, so, so patient with us. So that's God's correcting judgment, right? And, and we want that from him, and we need to actually provide that for other people uh, and if the uh, relationship allows for it. But there's another kind of judgment we see in God, and that's his condemning judgment. This is the judgment where it's not just judging what a person does. It's judging who they are. It's the final word on their personal worth and value. And for us, we, we can slip into this very easily where we start to look around and we start to not just judge what a person is doing, but judge them based on what they're doing. And we kind of say that you've been weighed and measured and you have been found wanting. And it's, it's really easy to do this, even when we're, we're not intending to. Uh, this past Wednesday, Lindsay and I were on the boardwalk down in Long Beach, and we went to this waffle truck where we had a cinnamon toast crunch waffle, which was delicious and disgusting at the same time. Uh, 
We're there eating our, our waffle, and this guy is walking by, and he, he's walking his bike, and he has these ridiculous handlebars on his bike. They're, like, so high. He has to, like, reach up here to even walk with the handlebars. And, of course, I make some demeaning comment to Lindsay, and Lindsay, who's the godly one in our relationship, waits a couple of minutes, and then she's like, so how's your, your message on judgment coming for Sunday? <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> because, of course... Of course, she was able to uh, look into what I was saying, and she, she could see that I actually, I made the leap, and I did. I made the leap from, this is a guy who has funny handlebars, to this is the funny handlebar guy, and he has been weighed and measured and found wanting because he has funny handlebars. Like, there was this kind of condemning tone and even thought in my head, which is stupid, because it's handlebars, it's so trivial. But there are other times where it's not trivial, where people, we see people do things that are evil. Uh, and, and it's not wrong for us to call what they do evil. Uh, but where we, we start to cross the line is where we start to condemn them. We start to say, you have been weighed and measured and found wanting because of what you've done. And Jesus steps in here and he says, pause <laughs> just for a second. Because if you're going to condemn them for their evil, God is going to judge you in the way that you judge them. And that is very unsettling <laughs> to hear. It is. And at, at first, as you read this, it starts to, to seem like it contradicts the message of the gospel. Because the message of the gospel is clear that we have been justified by grace, right? This idea that uh, it, you might not be familiar with the term justified or justification. It's kind of a theological term, but it's a good one. It just means that, you know, in that final day, we get to stand before God. And he's going to look at us, and he's going to say, and he's going to see all that we've done, and he's going to say, not guilty, because Jesus took the penalty for our sin. And this is a gift. Like, we are justified by grace. And the Apostle Paul, he sums it up. He says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's this, like, amazing statement. And now we see Jesus saying, well, except if you judge people, uh, then, then you're going to be condemned. It's like, oh, how do these two fit together? And the, the scholars, they, they point out that it's not that we earn God's grace by being gracious. It's that if we have received God's grace, we will be gracious. That how we judge others really does reveal what we believe about how God is going to judge us. And we might know better, we might be able to quote the Bible verses, but what we are believing in our heart is going to be revealed in how we judge other people. And if we believe that we are justified by grace, we will be dispensers of grace. But if we believe we are justified by anything else, it's going to lead to, judge, uh, to judgment and judging other people. Because when we, we, could, we could lose sight of either side of this, the, judge, the justification part or the grace part. And if we lose sight of either side, it leads to judgmentalism. For instance, if we, if we struggle with believing that we are justified before God, if we start to think, man, I don't know how I'm doing with God. Am I all right? Are we okay? And it, we get to this place of insecurity, and maybe it's because... You know, we've just gone through a tough season and it feels like God is distant or maybe it's because there's unconfessed sin in our lives and we feel the guilt of that. Or, or maybe it's just because we struggle with insecurity in general or, or maybe it's just because we feel threatened by something in our lives but we start to, to question, I don't, I don't know how I'm doing with God. Is he like, is he okay with me? And when we're in that position of insecurity of how we're doing with God, we will find a way to justify ourselves. 
We will. We can't just sit there. We will desperately grasp at anything to justify ourselves. And you know the easiest way to make yourself feel good, right? Condemn everyone around you. It's like so fast and easy. Uh, it doesn't last long, so you, know, you just need to keep moving on to, to somebody else. But we, our hearts are, are so, our hearts are so like wicked and sinful, and they're so good at this that we could be like comparing ourselves to somebody who is objectively better than us in like every way, but we'll just cling to like one trivial thing and just like, well, that's, you know, like, like, yeah, sure, Mother Teresa, she was great and she did all this stuff for the poor, but she had terrible fashion sense and that's a deal breaker. And, uh, and, and we, don't, we, we don't even like think about these things because we're, we're just trying to get that hit, like that, uh, you know, like a junkie getting his hit where we just get this moment of satisfaction. It's like, well, at least I'm not like them. And we start to think like maybe God grades on a curve and as long as I'm better than them, then I'm I can feel okay, and we're, we're constantly clinging to something for our justification if we don't know that we're justified in Christ, and it, it, it doesn't even make sense. Why would we do this? Why would we cling to these, these fleeting feelings of justification when God said, here it is, guys. I will justify you completely, not like partly. No, justified freely, completely by the blood of Christ. You get to live in that, not you know, in one moment, but every moment of every day to know that you stand before God and there is now no condemnation for you. Later in Romans 8, Paul says that uh, who's, who's going to be the one who actually condemns those who God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? How could anybody bring a charge against us if God says we're justified and that's what he's offering to us? Not based on my behavior or my good works, but based on what Jesus has done for us. Like, this is the promise of the gospel. Not only, it gets even better, not only does he say, we're okay. It's not like, hey, you're okay. He says, no, no, no. And we, we say this as part of our communion liturgy each week, but it comes from First uh, Peter. That we are God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It says God's special possession. You get that? You are, you're not just okay with God. You're his special possession because of what Jesus has done for you. Do you believe that? Do you trust it? You know, many of you have probably heard this before, but do you, do you really believe that in your heart? Or are you constantly trying to justify yourself through other means, justify yourself by condemning people around you? Because we can. We'll always find people that are worse than us. It's not that hard. There's a lot of people here in New York, and a lot of them are weird, <laughs> right? So we, it's not going to be that hard. But the measure that you use will be measured back to you. Do you believe that you're justified? And maybe you do. Like, maybe you're in that place where you know this and you believe this. You believe that you are, there's now no condemnation for you, all right? You believe that you're justified. But, but maybe you struggle with the fact that it is by grace that you have been justified, because our stupid, sinful hearts, they want to take credit for things that we didn't do. Uh, it's amazing. I'm amazed at my own heart, like, and even horrified at times. I don't know, you might not be able to tell this about me. I'm in the worst shape I've ever been in in my life. Uh, I eat everything. Uh, I do exercise every day. I exercise my right to not exercise. Uh, and I am just getting softer, and I, I'm not like in good shape. But you probably couldn't tell that about me. And that's because I'm lucky. 
Uh, I have nothing else to say. Like, it's just luck of the draw. Like, my dad's 60 years old, and he looks mostly like me, and he eats like I do. Like, it's just, I, I'm lucky. Uh, I know this. If you ask me, like, why do you, uh, lucky. Uh, however, my stupid sinful heart, there are times, if I'm not paying attention, if I'm not watching it and keeping it on a, a leash, that it'll see somebody who, like, looks out of shape, and my heart will be like, oh, that's slob. What? You're the slob. You just don't look like it. But, but my heart, desperately, our hearts, they want to take credit for things that are completely out of our control. Like, we take credit, like, sometimes we'll be proud of, like, where we were born. Like, good job. <laughs> like, you, you nailed it on the, you know, the birth location. Like, we, but we, our, our hearts, they're so conditioned to want to take credit. And we can even do this with our justification. We realize, like, yes, it is from God, but we get the order wrong. Uh, where we, we know that it's from God, but we, we start to think, you guys know the gospel. The gospel says that you're special because God chose you, right? That's what makes us special. We are a special possession because he chose us. But our hearts want to say he chose us because we're special. <laughs> and we want to fill in the, the blanks there for why we're special. And say, well, he chose me because he knew I was going to be one of those, those devoted Christians, Right? Or he chose me because he knew that I, I would be one of those Christians who has like sound theology. Or he chose me because he knew, he knew that I would be one of those compassionate Christians, not one of those judgmental Christians. And we, we start to kind of fill in the blanks of like why God chose us, what made us special. Uh, but what do you think happens when we look out and we see people who don't share the same characteristics that we think make us special? We condemn them. And all of a sudden, that's the reason why everything's going wrong in their life. Or that's the reason why God didn't choose them. And we start to, to separate people, again, not based on grace, but we, we start to say, well, I'm not like them. God chose me because I'm, I'm special. And into this, it's into this that Jesus says, guys, you're looking around and you're seeing the speck in your brother's eye. And there's a plank in your own eye. Guys, you need to deal with this plank that's in your eye. Now, there's something off about Jesus' math here. Because... How can everybody, he assumes that everybody he is speaking to is going to have the plank, but everybody they're looking at is going to have the speck. I don't understand how that works. Like, if Bruce is judging me, you hypocrite, judging me, uh, Bruce is plank eye, I'm speck eye. But if I judge Bruce back, how can I now be plank eye and he's speck eye? Well, it's because Jesus, he's getting at something even deeper. I know my sin in a way you never will know my sin. There are things that I did in my youth that you will never know about. I will never tell you. I like to like kind of explain it away in my head. It's like, oh, youthful indiscretion, you know, just being kids and stuff like that. But it's not. It's evil. And I, I will never tell you. <laughs> and that's the stuff that I did. <laughs> and then there's the thoughts that I've had, the things that I, I've actually entertained into, like, you will never hear about them because they're evil, and I don't want you to know, because I know. Uh, and, and here's the reality. From our vantage point, we get to see our sin like nobody else. And if we're willing to go there and we're willing to look, we, we see a plank, not, not a little speck. We see, and, and we only get to see, I only get to see the tip of the iceberg for you. I can only see the speck in your eye, but you get to see the plank. And he's saying, guys, you need to look at the plank in your eye. And he's talking about this plank. It's like a beam. When Lindsay and I got married, we, 
uh, made centerpieces out of these blocks of wood uh, for some of the, the tables at our, our wedding. Uh, but when we, we bought this from like a reclaimed building place, we did not buy blocks of wood. This was a 16 foot long beam. It was all one solid piece. And you should have seen me and the other guy trying to like maneuver this thing onto the saw to cut it. Because uh, it was like, I, I don't know, it was ridiculously heavy. And the, the reality is, is two or three of us were able to like clumsily manage to get it up onto the saw. But there is no possible way I could handle that beam on my own. It's too big. It's unmanageable on my own. And this is uh, the realization that we come to. If we're really honest and we start to look at the sin in our own hearts and the evil in our own hearts, as Jesus is calling us to, he's saying, remove, remove that plank, guys. I can't remove that plank. It's too big. The beam is too heavy. It, it's more than I could ever bear on my own. I'd be hopeless. But I have a savior. And that savior, he took a beam much like the one imaged in this parable, and he carried it to a place where he, he would be strung up and crucified, and his blood would be shed as he hung from that beam so that I could be justified. Not Trevor the Christian, Trevor the pastor, Trevor the sinner, Trevor who, who's done things and said things and thought things that I'm completely ashamed of, stuff that's too heavy for me to bear. And the only way that I could ever remove this beam from my eye is if Jesus takes it. And that's what he did. And that is the, the, the difference that grace makes. See, now I am able to look out and I'm able to see specks in other people's eyes. Jesus says, remove the plank from your own eye and then you'll be able to see clearly. The only way to remove it is through the grace of the cross. But once you experience that, then you see the specks in other people's eyes and you realize what they need from me is not my judgment. They need the grace of the cross because that's the only thing that can actually remove the speck from their eye. It's the only thing that could remove the plank from my own eye. This is the grace that makes a difference. And if we, we really do believe this, and I don't know if you do. Do you know if you do? Like if you look at your life, are you, are you harsh and judgmental? Are people always kind of just pushing you away because you're, you're just constantly harping on them? Do you believe the grace of the cross? Are you living in light of that? Maybe you know it, but you don't believe it. Or maybe, maybe you don't know. Maybe you're hearing some of this for the first time and you're thinking, man, this whole time I've been trying to justify myself through all these different ways. I didn't realize that Jesus did it for me. But if we've really come to terms with that grace, then what we're going to be dispensers of is not judgment. We're going to dispense this grace because it's amazing. It's the only thing that was able to help us. So why would we try to offer anything to anybody else, but we, we forget. And we need to be reminded. And so Jesus says, look, look at the plank in your eye. Be reminded of the sin in your life. We have to do this regularly. You know, we do this as part of our community. We have a time of confession, and we're gonna do this in, in just a few moments. And I encourage you guys, during that time of confession, dig deep. Go to the places you don't want to. The places that you, you wanna excuse, just own up to and, and no matter how deep your sin is, God's grace is greater. And we can experience that. And we need to experience that every day. And I want to encourage you guys to, to have your sin always before you. Not in a way that just kind of like makes you down and melancholy. You have to take that sin to the cross. You have to realize that the weight of that sin was 
carried by Jesus, and you are justified for good. And there is no condemnation for you, and you are God's special possession. The band's going to come up, uh, and then we'll, we'll go to this time of communion. Again, I want to encourage you, in that time of confession, just lay it at the cross. Nobody comes to the cross standing with their head held high. <laughs> we come on our knees, humbled by our own sin and by the grace of our amazing God. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we confess that uh, even we, we judge people, God. We, we forget the grace that's been shown to us. We, we try to find other ways of justifying ourselves. And God, we, we take your grace, this amazing gift that you've given us. And, and God, sometimes I know we, we twist it and we try to take credit for this gift. God, I pray that again we'll be reminded of who we really are. God, that we are sinners in need of a savior, but to also be reminded that we do have a savior. And that your grace is enough, God, that we, we too might be dispensers of your grace in this world. Amen.